Jubilee. Jubilee. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, every now and then as we're working through, we like to do different kinds of sermon series here at City. Uh, we'll do one-off sermons sometimes where we're just talking about a, a topic or an event or something that needs to be discussed. We will work through entire books like we just did going through First John. We'll work through uh, a topical series like we did whenever we have been working through uh, the the... Oh, come on. The Apostles' Creed. And so we're setting through up. That's a topical sermon series because the Apostles' Creed itself, not in the Bible, but we're running through each topic in it, right? And then sometimes we pick an in-depth topic that, or theme that runs throughout Scripture that is worth knowing about and how it interacts across different ways. And that is what we're starting today. We're doing a thematic sermon series that talks about a theme that runs from Scripture uh, all the way from the Mosaic Law all the way through to the book of Revelation, Some themes that we have touched on before are themes like covenant, which runs throughout. Themes like the God's people. Themes like the actual land itself, the Hebrew land that was given to them. These things are themes that are interwoven throughout Scripture and that we can see they all point to Jesus. And we're touching on one today that also touches on and runs through Jesus' theology. And that topic is Jubilee. When you hear Jubilee... What do you usually think of? Thank you, thank you. X-Men and Donuts. Those are the two things that I heard right there. Exactly. And those are the things that we should take the, uh, uh, thematically from Scripture. Just know about mutants and know about donuts. No? All right. Uh, we sometimes think of jubilation or liberation, right? Uh, one of the things that pops into my brain often is the concept of justice or freedom. Hence, and justice for all, right? Oftentimes, jubilary theology is taken on by portions of the church that very much so focus on the concepts of social justice, with good reason, but sometimes also kind of miss its point. Because justice is its purpose, but it's not justice as we see it. It's God's justice that matters, right? And so we're going to be talking today about a broad overview of this concept. So we're going to start off by reading in Leviticus chapter 25, whenever Jubilee is put into place. We're going to read about 21 verses from here, 28 verses from here. You ready? It says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what is grown of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired workers and sojourners who live with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food." You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout all of your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself or gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. 
in this year of Jubilee, each shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee, and he shall sell you according to the number of years for crops. It is the years, if the years are many, the you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes, keep my rules, and perform them. Then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill, your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather... I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then it becomes, and he himself becomes prosperous and finds a means to redeem it, let him calculate the year since he sold and pay back the balance to the man with whom he sold it and return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what is sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of the Lord, the Jubilee. In the Jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property." We just read a large portion of the land laws that God put into place following the time whenever the people of Israel were given the land of Israel, and they took it over in the conquest of Joshua, okay? So following the conquest, God had the people of Israel cast lots to divide up the land that he had given them for each of the tribes, and he placed into these tribes care for this land that he's given them, right? Right? But then he gives them a bunch of rules and stipulations that cover over this. In Exodus, he puts a bunch of stipulations down, including things like every seven years, your land is to to Sabbath, just as God himself had Sabbathed, right? In Leviticus, it talks about that again. The whole first half of what we just talked about in Leviticus 25 was this concept of a land Sabbath, right? Every seven years, the land should rest. But then in Leviticus, God adds something else. And he says, take seven of those weeks. Seven weeks of years. So seven times seven years. Every 49th year on the Day of Atonement, the day whenever the shofar is blown, the ram's horn is blown, on the day whenever you follow the law of God and you go through the Day of Atonement and you sacrifice a lamb on behalf of the people's sins and you release a scapegoat uh, to take away the people's sins, every seven weeks of years, you are to have what's called a jubilee. And this jubilee literally means ram's horn, by the way. That's what jubilee comes from. And this jubilee is a time whenever not only do the people let the land rest, but they return everything that they have to the state that it was in whenever God first gave Israel the land. Everything returns. If you bought some property from a friend or a neighbor or an enemy or whoever, and... You bought it from them, but it was what they originally had or their family originally had whenever God gave the land of Israel, the land. Then whenever the jubilee sounds, they get that land back. Same deal. If you had to sell all of your property away, whenever the year of jubilee returns, you get your stuff back. Not everything. Most things, right? Why did God put this into place? First of all, a couple of things here. 
Uh, Jubilee throughout Scripture is known by a couple of different names. It's known as Jubilee, duh. It's known as the year of the ram's horn, right? Or it's also known as the year of the Lord's favor. That one's going to pop up again as we read through it. And why is it the year of the Lord's favor? It's because it's whenever God re-pours out his blessing on Israel over and over again. He promises to bless enough to be able to feed the people throughout a time whenever the land is not being worked. And he returns the people's blessing to them over and over again, right? So what things do people get back in the year of Jubilee? What things, if sold, come back to the rightful owners? quote-unquote, in the year of Jubilee. Well, the land comes back. So if you owned a parcel of land, if your family was given a parcel of land by God, then whenever the Jubilee sounds, if you have sold that land off, you get it back, okay? Also, uh, we didn't talk about this part, but as you read through in chapter 25, Israelites themselves, people could sell themselves into slavery or indentured servitude, in order to actually uh, come out of debt, or for any number of reasons. But in the year of Jubilee, any Israelite slaves who were in captivity to other Israelites were to be released or set free from their bondage. What things do not come back? If you read in chapter 25, there's a couple of stipulations on this that don't come back. And one is silly. I don't, I don't even fully get the context of this yet, but I, I'm still reading on it. Houses that exist in walled cities, if you sell those, you don't get them back during Jubilee year. You've got to go ahead and uh, hang on to those. Uh, also, here's one that's going to be rough for us to talk about, and we're going to have to talk about this in about three weeks. Any non-Israelite slaves, and so foreign slaves, do not get redeemed in the year of Jubilee. We'll talk about that one in three weeks. If you want to talk about slavery, we will have that conversation in three weeks. All right? Now, there were two ways for the land to be returned to people or for people to have their status back in this law. The first one is for the Jubilee year to actually sound, right? And the second one is for a kinsman redeemer to purchase the land or the person back. So a kinsman redeemer is usually someone's closest kin, their closest relative. If their closest relative gains back the means to return the land that was given to this family by God to this family's control, the family was called to use their finances to gain that land back, okay? And so your closest relative could go and redeem you and bring you back in. Fun story, whenever you read the story of Ruth and Boaz, uh, Ruth and Naomi and them are looking for a kinsman redeemer, fun story. Whenever this law went into effect, the people of Israel, it appears, looked at it and said, wow, this is an amazing example of the way that God has favored us, his people, over and above all the other nations. And this law really deals with the way that we, as the people of Israel, are called as God's people to relate to him, the land he's given us, and other Israelites. It did not deal very much with the way that they dealt with outside nations. It didn't deal very much with the way they had to function in the world larger than Israel itself. It was a very specific thing, right? Fun story. Eventually, Jake's going to be preaching on this one. But in Second Chronicles, there's a point where this land law is brought back up. And the people of Israel are warned that if they do not follow God's law and have Jubilee years, 
God will force jubilee years upon the land. If the people won't rest the land and restore it to what it's supposed to be, God himself will. And the consequence of the people not doing it was the people of Israel being swept away into Babylon. Yes, the people were wicked in choosing not to follow God's laws, and that's why God allowed the Babylonian captivity to occur. But if you want the actual real reason why the book says it, it's because they chose not to follow this particular law. It's kind of a big deal to God. Why is it such a big deal to him? Why does he care what happens to the land and the people uh, that he has given out to the Israelites over, in a, over the course of generations? Why did he care? What does it matter to him if people sell off their land or things of that nature? Why did it matter? The answer is actually in the part of the text we just read. In verse 23, God says this, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. Why are they called to follow this practice? Because the land of Israel didn't really belong to Israel anyway. And the people of Israel didn't belong to the people of Israel either. The land and the people of Israel belonged to who? God, right? And he can do with it what he wants. It's his will and his justice that matters, not the people's. And so... He calls for them to return this land to the state that he put it in over and over again. Flash forward until we hit the Babylonian captivity. The people of Israel are in captivity. They are depressed and hurt because part of their cultural psyche was that they were God's people whom he loved, whom he had given this land to, and they would never have it taken away from them. This was a considered point in who the people of Israel were. They believed that the land of Israel was theirs forever, and God had swept it away from them. And then the people of Israel had to come to terms with the fact that the land is God's and not theirs, and he can do with it what he wills, right? And while they're in, in captivity, God calls and gives out to his prophets words and wisdom. And as even before they're swept into captivity, he starts giving his prophets words and wisdom, explaining to them a fuller and deeper meaning of jubilee. As you read through Ezekiel and Isaiah, and as you read through parts of even uh, Hosea touches on it a little bit, you start to see this theme pop up over and over again, that the year of Jubilee is coming in. And we start to see a grander and fuller picture of what Jubilee actually is. Because the law pointed to one thing, but it points to a deeper, more full thing about who God is. Okay? So in the book of Isaiah, we read about the fact that God is in control of everything. He is the one who owns his land. He does love his people, Israel, and that he will redeem the people of Israel. He will pay what they owe and restore to them their land. And we read that he will do so through a kinsman redeemer. He himself is a redeemer, but he will offer up someone, one of his anointed, a person who uh, can pay the price that Israel deserves in order for them to return back and have back their land, okay? And so the people of Israel who originally thought of Jubilee as a thing that just mattered in Israel began to see Jubilee as something that actually matters in the way that they interact with the nations around them. 
And so as they're in Babylon, as they're in Persia, they start to see Jubilee as something God is going to proclaim and bring back into effect. And he will not just restore people of Israel's households within Israel, but he'll return to Israel that which is rightfully Israel's, even over and above other people who were on it then, okay? So it starts with how God will deal with his people against the other nations. Now, following the prophet's time in the intertestamental period, that period between when the Old Testament and the New Testament were written, the people of Israel expanded on this ideal. And they expected this redeemer to function in certain ways. They began to call him the anointed one even more, which is the word that we have for Christ, right? Messiah, anointed one, and Christ are the same. They expected this Messiah to show up and to pay the price necessary to get Israel back. And they expected the price paid to be warfare. They expected them to have to repay to their enemies what their enemies had paid to them, to come back and fight for Israel to have their status back. And this idea began to percolate up through to the point that before the New Testament times, there were numerous uprisings in Judea against the different powers that were over top of it. Uh, by people who were claiming to be God's anointed over and over again because they were trying to militarily pay back what the people of Israel were paid to lose their land. They were trying to take it back over by force. And then, all of a sudden, this man shows up out of the scene. His birth while being foretold and and prophesied over by one of the attendants of the temple, was shown to usher in the coming year of Jubilee. Uh, Zacchaeus, I believe is his name, or Zacharias. Zachariah, sorry, temple attendant in the beginning of Luke, foretells this person's birth and says, my eyes... Uh, can be can rest happy now because I've seen the coming year of the Lord's favor. And then a man named Yeshua, or Joshua, honestly, a man that we know as Jesus, shows up out of the wilderness and enters into the town that he grew up in. And he is a rabbi, but an itinerant one. He doesn't have a giant following yet, but he is a teacher of the law and he is authoritative. And so he has the right to speak in Sabbath services uh, in, in, in the synagogues that exist. And so he pulls open a scroll, and he begins to read. And he reads this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the school and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or to proclaim the year of Jubilee. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Who is this guy? Who is he? (laughs) 
many have been waiting for God's jubilee. And Jesus announces it and says, you have just seen it come to pass. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Something tells me that what Jesus is about to proclaim throughout his life and his ministry is a little bit bigger than Israel receiving back the land that had been taken from it in Babylonian captivity. Or something bigger than individual Israelites receiving back their property or their own personal rights that they had sold to other Israelites. You see, Israel thought of Jubilee in the context originally of how it dealt with itself. Then Israel itself expanded that thought outwards and considered the way the Jubilee functions against other nations. But when Christ proclaims Jubilee, he's not talking about returning one portion of this world back to the state it had been before. If Jubilee is about what belongs to God and who has right to do with it what he wants, what actually all belongs to God? Everything, right? Israel's not the only nation that belongs to God. Israel is God's people, but God owns every person, right? The land of Israel was given to God in the covenant, but just the land of Israel is not the only land that belongs to God, right? The whole world belongs to him. All of creation belongs to him, right? You see, in Jubilee, we see this concept that God redeems things back to the way that they were supposed to be. And in Jesus, God isn't just redeeming back the world to where it was at the time of the covenant. God is redeeming the world back to where it was supposed to be before the fall of mankind. Jesus paid the ultimate redemptive price to redeem the world back to himself. This is Jubilee. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we look forward to learning about what you are teaching about Jubilee as these years go forward. Father, I pray that as we move forward together as a church and learn about the way that this concept interacts with the whole of Scripture, I pray that you would allow us to learn more and more about what it means in our lives. May we recognize that your justice reigns and that ours is sometimes foolish. May we learn that you know what you're doing. (laughs) May we grow and who you've called us to be. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we learn. May we have these concepts written on our hearts and on our foreheads, and may, Lord God, we glorify you because of them. It is in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, we're going to talk back through some of the actual stipulations of Jubilee as it originally mattered, and we're going to discuss what some of their implications are throughout the rest of Scripture. Specifically, we're going to talk about the concept of redemption. I'd like to invite you back to learn about it next week, right? If you wouldn't mind, stand with us. We're going to spend some time worshiping. Actually, I'm lying. Sit back down. We're going to bring Jake up to do communion. Jake is teaching. Did anyone prepare communion today then? Hey, Tom, go prepare communion. We're going to worship together then take communion, and then we're going to invite the kids back so that we can do baptisms together, okay? We know what's going on here, right? Would you please stand and worship with us? So we're back up. All right. Thank you.
worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and holy, holy is He. And sing a new song to Him who sits on the heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. And sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing, a praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Jesus, 
name is power, breath in every water, such a marvelous mystery. sitting up here at the front. I want you to know that we have an open communion here at City Church, so any and all who are followers of Christ are welcome to partake with us, okay? Hey, Brent, hold one second. Following this communion, we're going to be singing our final worship song, and then we're going to be having the kids come back over during that song, okay? So during that song, your kids will be coming through. Holly, would you mind helping bring the kids back over at that point, too? Thank you. Here's how we partake in communion together. We leave the elements up here. Please feel free to, as you are ready to do so, come up along the right-hand side and step forward, partake of the bread, dip it in the, in the cup, and remember what your Lord has done. We know on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. As you are ready, please feel, forward, feel free to come forward and remember your Lord and your God. You may be seated as well. I want to stand for this point.
stand with me as we worship? I need you to soften my heart, break me apart, and I need you. God, you never will, and I may be weak, your spirit's strong in me, my flesh may fail, my God, you never claim it, and I may be weak, your spirit's strong in me, my flesh God, you never will, and I may be weak, 
your spirit strong in me, and my flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. And give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good, and your love is great. I'm broken inside and I give you my life give me faith and give me faith to trust what you say that you're good and your love is great I'm broken inside and I'll give you my love. I may be weak and I may be weak. Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will, and I may be weak. Your spirit's strong in me. My flesh may fail. My God, you never will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you are good and you are God, and that while we may be weak, you are strong. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us, for redeeming us from that which we could never repay. Lord, we thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Baptism. Today, we are baptizing several individuals, and we should talk really quick about what baptism is. Baptism is a way in which we can be obedient as Christ is obedient. Whenever Jesus first started his ministry, he began by uh, stepping forward into whenever John the Baptist was proclaiming his ministry. And John the Baptist saw him, and he said, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus came forward to be baptized, and John said, No, why should I baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, Basically, that's so, but let's do it anyway to fulfill all righteousness. If Jesus did baptism to be obedient to his Father, we baptize to be obedient to our Father, right? Now, not only is this a step of obedience, a step in following Christ in faith, but it is a way that we as his people identify ourselves with his death and his resurrection. Whenever Paul is writing, he says that in baptism, whenever we go under, we are signifying or identifying ourselves with Christ's death. And we are recognizing the fact that we too are dead to our sins and our, our, our trespasses. And whenever we come back up out of the water, we are identifying ourselves with his resurrection and recognizing that in his, in his reborn life, in his new life, we can have new life as well. And that in his life is our hope. And so any who are ready to be baptized, please feel free to make your way over to the baptismal. Regulars, people who want to be here to see, please feel free to move yourselves over here as well and partake. You don't have to stay sitting in your seat and wondering what's happening. Come on over. Let's make our way over. If you're being baptized today, please step over towards me. 
Huh? Abby will be over in a second. All right. Whoop, whoop. You want to take this guy off? <laughs> it's going to get heavy. You have any phones in your pockets or anything? <sighs> Fun story, guys. In case you're wondering, City Church now owns ourselves our very own obviously awesome baptismal. Super, super official looking, right? But it's ours. We can baptize whenever we want now. We don't have to wait until we can borrow one anymore. Okay? So if anyone wants to be baptized in the near future, let me know. We can refill it again. <sighs> All right. Our first two people being baptized today are Virgil and Virgil. Say hi to the Virgils. So we're going to start with a quick question, just so you guys know. The answer to all these is obviously yes, okay? All right, you ready for this? All right. So we're going to start with this. Do you believe Jesus is your Lord? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. Yeah? Uh, do you identify yourselves with his death? Do you realize that in him you died to your sins? Yeah? And do you believe that in his resurrection you have new life? Yeah? All right. Let's come on over. Anyone want to take off your shoes? Possibly your socks. Yeah. All right, if you don't mind, step around here to this side for me. Hey, Virch, come back here with me, buddy. You're going to come over here. All right, just hop right on in. You're going to move right up here to the midpoint, okay? Sit your bottom right down there. Not going to hit your head, right? No? All right. All right. Put it on his back. Do me a favor, put your arms like this and plug your nose, okay? Now, whenever we say, we're going to tip you backwards, okay? You ready? We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Step on up, buddy. Can you step right out that way for me? You want to help dunk him? You want to help dunk your dad? Virgil's time. Mother Virgil. Come right here with me, buddy. You're going to help me with this guy, too, okay? No phone, nothing? Good? Yeah? <laughs> Want to take off your glasses, too? <laughs> All right, your turn. About halfway forward for me. Maybe a little more for you because you're a little tall. All right, arms over. You ready? Want to help? Baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There you go, buddy. Get over here. I want a hug. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Yeah. Step out towards the front for me. And next up, Miss Abby, step on forward. Jeremy, where you at, buddy? Can you step over here for me? All right, I'm going to ask you the same question for you again, all right? All right. Huh? She got it out? Good. All right, you ready for this? Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Do you believe he rose again? Do you identify yourself with his death? And do you identify yourself with his resurrection? Know that he's your hope. Hop on in. Jeremy. 
step forward just a little bit for me? else wants to be baptized, let me know. I'm willing to do so. But also, let's celebrate with these people together. All right? Thank you very much, everybody. That concludes our service for today. Go forth and be the church.